You're listening to the Stitch Podcast. Okay, there we go. All right, welcome to the Pitch Stack Podcast. I am Douglas DeYoung, joined as always by Mr. Matt Rodriguez. Matt, how are you today? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing quite all right. I've just been watching the SCG indie coverage as we watch an unlimited amount of Starvos, Prisms, and Visorize battle it out. And when I say unlimited, I mean precisely 700. Um... Battle it out for the championship Probably of the like state of Indiana. Two Katsus there, right? At least. There's definitely. There's <laughs> I uh, I've I've heard rumors of there being at least one Bolton. You know, oh, yeah. a, I have heard about that Bolton. <laughs> so as I'm sure you have surmised, we are a flesh and blood podcast uh dedicated to the latest, greatest, innovative, best thing to come out of New Zealand since fried eggs. Flesh and they, blood. They invented fried eggs? I don't know, but I'll give them that. Okay, they deserve it for flesh and blood. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else, so, you know, we'll give them fried eggs. Yeah, I mean... It seems right. Fried eggs every morning. Exactly. Uh, so first, I guess... So, Matt, you're a magic judge. I'm a magic judge. We both obviously have spent a lot of time playing Magic the Gathering, which is another card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I guess the best way to start this with flesh and blood being what I consider the best of all current card games, which is saying a lot considering the history of magic and the amount of time I've put in playing it and how much I love playing it. Um, Matt, what drew you to flesh and blood? Well, um, well, I've been playing a lot of magic for a while. And uh, I think about last year, I don't know. I've I heard about Flesh and Blood originally from the Oso uh, polarizing uh, Rudy uh, Alpha Investments. Oh yes, and um, you know, hate him or love him, he knows good taste in card games, and Flesh and Blood is a really really good game. And when I first saw him introducing the game and talking about uh, you know the mechanics and opening boxes and packs and stuff, I'm like, this game looks pretty interesting. And at first, it was my interest in it was like, you know, I really wish my local game store carried it. I feel like they would be pretty, it would be pretty successful there. So I kind of just pitched it to them, you know, nothing really came of it. And then down the line, I saw it, they were holding the product in store and they were actually ordering some of it. And at that point I was like, you know what? I'll buy a box, see what happens, right? I'm not really into the game, but what's the worst that can happen? Just crack a box and pull the cards, maybe throw a few decks together, practice the game. And if I like it, I'll play it. So I bought a box of uh, Wraith and this was like, I don't know, April last year. And then I best best. I didn't realize how good it was at the time, but the best pull I got was E-Strike out of that box. Uh, it was pretty sweet. Nice. Um, I also got a Crippling Crush foil. That was really good. Now it is, especially. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the Bravo rampant. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I threw some decks together, kind of got a feel for the game and how it goes. Saw that they got Arcane Rising Unlimited when that came out. I was like, OK, yeah. I guess some of that pulled the command conquer and grasp, but I was like, oh man, Viscera is my guy. I love the colors. I love the schemes, the theme, the aesthetics, the lore. I'm like, this is, this is my guy. 
So that was my favorite deck. I built that, went to my first armory, got swiftly defeated in all four games. But I did walk away with a uh, mangle playmat for my efforts and uh, toughen it through all of the uh, all of the beatings. But it was a lot of fun. I met uh, some cool guys, met Alex, as you know, and he kind of got me cooked into the community. You know, start we started talking about the RTN season that was coming up, and then that's when I started making a plan to participate more at armories and practice the game. And then you know, from there, well. From there, that's just where it went. We just started playing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's weird. My story is really similar. Uh, I was playing a lot of Magic. And uh, especially a lot of Modern. And I don't know if you've, if you've played Modern like within the last year. But it's expensive and it's not fun anymore. Yeah, I actually um, didn't. But it was like one... <laughs> I played one deck and it was like... I, I had no interest in... Sorry, small tangent. But I had no interest in Modern. Okay. I saw one deck. It was the Jun Food deck. And I watched it do the thing. I'm like, I want to do the thing. That's cool. Give me the deck. <laughs> <laughs> so I threw it together, played one game with it, and then I never did it again. <laughs> yeah, you got to get those Asmora Nomartica Darstina Koldakars. That's like Asmora, the key to that Asmora deck. Asmora Nomartica <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so it's interesting. Like, So I enjoy Magic. I enjoy playing Modern. I don't actually think Modern's bad right now. I just... I was at a point where like, I was really frustrated with where modern was at and like uh you know i i watch a lot of youtube youtube's like my background noise in general and it's weird because my story is very similar as i was watching i like i turned on youtube and was like hey guys rudy here welcome to elf investments or whatever <laughs> and uh yeah and so and he, like you know he would he'd open up box of flesh and blood and you know i'm i'm a simple man so I'd be like oh pretty those cards are nice looking and uh my local lgs uh in margate it's local LGS. Nice ATM machine. Um, so my <laughs> LGS and Margate, I, uh, I would go there and they, they had flesh and blood, but all they had were first edition boxes of Monarch. Right. So it was always like, Oh, that's the top shelf stuff. I can't touch that. Um, and you know, I was always curious. I was thinking about it, but nobody else there had flesh and blood cards. And eventually, eventually one day, I don't remember what happened. I feel like I got stomped in modern went like Oh, three drop or something. And I, uh, you know, I bought a prism deck because I, I don't know if it's because I'm Dutch and it's like very stereotypical, but I just love the color gold. And so it's mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I bought a prism deck. I thought it was super cool. And they also threw in an IRA welcome deck and they're like, here, figure out how to play. Oh, and um, I went over to one of my friend's house. Gold. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I went over to my friend's house and we had been playing trading card games together since we were like nine years old. So we've been playing trading card games for over 20 years. And we we originally played the X-Men TCG by Wizards of the Coast, uh, which like I'm sure nobody remembers because it wasn't good. Never but we tracked it. down a uh, we tracked down an original dual deck starter set of X-Men TCG. It cost us a fortune. It was like four dollars and fifty cents. It was like obviously nobody has any nostalgia for this game. It was still sealed. It cost us nothing. That's um I brought over some EDH decks because he had just been getting into magic through Arena. And then I brought over a Prism deck and, um, and the Ira Welcome deck. And we spent most of that day playing Flesh and Blood. And we were like, this is kind of interesting. There's something to this. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I played a few more kitchen table games and I was like, wow, there's a lot to this. And I slowly became the very annoying guy at my LGS that I'm sure that almost everybody listening to this has been at some point 
where they are hey, have you guys played Flesh and Blood? Have you guys yes. tried Flesh and Blood? <laughs> Flesh and Blood's so good. Oh, no, it's so good. No, it's it's nothing like Yu-Gi-Oh. It's completely different. Night. I have to buy my yeah. tongue last night. I heard some people talking shit about Flesh and Blood, and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, right? There's some people yeah. that have tried it and played it, or some people who know about the game, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's all right. It's fine, but I, uh, I I try to I try to pitch the game to a pitch. Yeah, I try to pitch the game to a few players uh, at the store. Uh, actually, got a couple people interested, but um, most of them, I don't know, a handful of them have continued coming to our armories, uh, at Prodigy. But a couple of them, you know, every, I don't know, every once in a while they still show up, but uh, they're not like you know, going around to PQs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the grinder mentality. It's really interesting because it, it just it reminds me of the way magic used to be mm-hmm. um, when magic was amazing. And you would have these friends where you would just pile into minivans and you would drive to like a Grand Prix in the middle of like some terrible city where there's nowhere to eat but like a Hardee's. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you would just, Jeez. you know, you would grind out these tournaments and PTQs and stuff. And flesh and blood has all of that, and it's back, and you're back in the van, and it's they just have the time for gas prices to rise to make it yeah. not fun anymore. Um, I believe the the Hardee's is now. Um, <laughs> I don't think Hardee's is around anymore. I haven't seen one in like a hundred years. Well, they've got Carl's Juniors. Same. That's thing. what it is. They just they're fully Carl's Junior now. So yeah, so flesh and blood really for me filled the because like i still love playing uh commander elder dragon highlander edh whatever you want to call it like i still love playing magic at a kitchen table with my old friends with our stupid dirtily decks that we've been working on for years like uh, my old neighbor he has a zedru the great hearted deck in magic where just the whole point is just to drag his feet and like (laughs) laugh as much as possible which is really great and that's how i love to play edh and so Really, I was missing this spot in my life for competitive card games and flesh and blood showed up at just the right time Mm -hmm. and it filled it. And no matter how many armories I get stomped at, I keep Mm -hmm. coming back and I don't know what it is. Um, I I think (laughs) I have the same thing you have. Uh, It's a bug going around. But uh, I've never been like, I've never been the grindy guy, you know, like I've never been the tournament grinder. Like even when I started playing Magic, which was my first trading card game, technically, I mean, when I was a kid slinging Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, that doesn't really count. Um, but, you know, actually full playing a game, I never was really interested in playing competitive, like real competitively, like trying to qualify for any big events or anything. I kind of just like showing up and playing, you know, I tried a little standard. I've tried, I've tried a little bit of everything except for like vintage. You know, tried a little bit of modern, tried a little bit of legacy, but I've never really been interested in like just going full, like full competitive. Right. But for some reason, like maybe that's why I got that's why I built that modern deck, because I felt like maybe that's what I wanted to do now. Start more moving towards something more competitive. And then Flesh and Blood came like right at the perfect moment that really filled that gap, you know, like you were saying. And I've never been more motivated than I have been with this game, maybe because it's new or maybe because it's just genuinely a good game. Never been as motivated to like, you know, show up for everything as much as possible. And then I have now with this game. And it's weird. There's something about having a grinder mentality and flesh and blood that is very healthy compared to a lot of other card games where a lot of other card games to have a grinder mentality you need to be somebody who takes a lot of things to the extreme. And 
it's weird because flesh and blood, you can have that mentality without without going to like the extremes of like being a toxic competitor. And I don't know, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think what the thing is that flesh and blood has is that the game is an absolute slog. Like it just <laughs> like it takes like you're going to spend 35, 40 minutes on a single game. It's highly interactive. You're going blow for blow on each turn. And it's almost like, you know, you watch like a UFC or a boxing match where just, you know, two fighters that absolutely hate each other just after going through like this mental, physical, combative slog, like they always hug each other at the end. Not always. Uh, like 95% <laughs> of the time. And I think flesh and blood hits a similar <laughs> 95 percentage of finding a new respect for your opponent. And there's something very healthy about continually wanting to go back for that finding new ways to play. Like even if you get stomped in, you still found a respect for the other player and the way they played because it's just, it's so rare that you lose on like some cheese or some garbage, you know, you lose because sometimes your deck didn't play there, but or there's just, play Kano. yeah, or <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, unless you're just like, you know, got to your Kano player and you just 41 someone on turn one, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but see, it happens so little. Um, and so I don't know. I think there's something about that where you can sit there, you can play against the best players and you'd be like, oh my God, like they just didn't even have to think about those lines of play. I got stomped. My teeth are all over the floor. I got to find an oral surgeon. Like it's terrible. Um, and, but then you, I don't know. There's like, there's this weird skill level and pattern recognition to this game. And I don't know. I feel like you already understand what I'm talking about if you're listening to this. So. Yeah, that's a, that's how I got into flesh and blood. So that For said, sure. that said, we both talk about this grinder mentality. Um, and now that ProQuest season is over, uh, Matt, how was your experience with ProQuests? Uh, um, well, it actually went off to a great start. Uh, we played at a uh, local in Davies, uh, in Davie, Florida, Time Twister Games. And you judged... I played I the first five rounds. And thank you for judging, by the way, once more. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, any judge that puts uh, their time and effort into the community, you know, they take the time off to not play and they uh, help us out and make. Uh, I just like having a reason to wear button downs. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's also, you know, <laughs> looking the, the drips real. Um, exactly. But yeah, like I, I did pretty well in Swiss. Like I, you know, I, I played into some really interesting matchups. So to be fair, you know, I it, depending on whether I had played Starvo or against Prism in those matchups instead, who knows? But I'd like to think I still would have won. I did play against uh, OG Bravo, much respect. And that game, Dan came down super close, down to the wire. Um, yeah. And then I played against the Leviathan deck, and that was interesting. Yeah, out um, of nowhere. I, yeah. yeah, I remember somebody showing up for it. And the whole time, like, as a judge, you can't play favorites. But I was secretly rooting for that deck. Oh, it's like, get those three, uh, get those three living legend points. You know, it's about after, time. After our match, I was like, I really want that Leviathan to be a top eight. Please, <laughs> top eight Leviathan. Pummel to victory. Let's go. Um, but alas, they didn't make it. Um, and then the rest of the way, I fought against uh, top three decks i fought against two starvos uh and a viscerai i did lose to one of the starvo decks and then top eight uh you know consider it uh lucky on my part or just you know 
whatever. But my top eight opponent uh, left and uh, bowed out. So I got a free one on that one. Um, and then in my next match, uh, top four lost to an incredibly skilled Starvo player. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that was a for me, it was a really fast game compared to his last one. He, and it was the same match. It was a uh, I was playing Viscerai. He was playing Starvo. But the last match he played uh, was Viscerai versus Starvo also. And that one just was an incredibly long slog match which is interesting because it kind of speaks to like the game and how some games can shift depending on cards you draw or, you know, certain lines of play or the players you're actually just playing against. Maybe it was just me being, you know, maybe just not as, <laughs> not as well versed as the other uh, players, but uh, our game lasted like 20 minutes and the other one was like almost two hours. So an yeah. hour and a half, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, that was a, that was an interesting QQ for me, uh, PQ for me. I had fun. Uh, I top forward, you know, I was a very, uh, proud of myself. Then I went out to, uh, the collective in Orlando. They are actually, I thought it performed pretty well too, you know, even for not uh top topping, I went three and three. Um, I played against, I played against two Lexis. This is very interesting. Uh, lost to Lightning Lexi, which was incredibly fast and very difficult to keep up with. Uh, and then I beat the Ice Lexi. And then I won a, uh Old Him match in round six. But in between that, uh, I lost... Uh, let's see, I forgot. I lost two rounds against Vis. And I don't remember which one I beat in the middle. I'm trying to remember what deck that was. But, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, that was that one. The third PQ I played at, oh yeah, and um, my buddy Jonathan made top, uh, shout out to Jonathan, he made top on that one, played against Tariq Patel, but he oh, did yeah. not make it sadly to top two. Yeah, that but, tends to happen when people play against Mr. Patel, that seems to be a, <laughs> uh, that seems to be a recurring theme for his opponents. Yeah, but I, I think he definitely, I think they both definitely played extremely well, you know, um, you know, Jonathan luckily got his PQ, his PTI uh, out of subsequent ProQuest uh, later down the line. Um, and then I played at Hey Wanna Plays uh, ProQuest. I just actually just totally bombed that one. I don't know, like either it was my, uh, I, my opponents were great. No, no uh, slag on them, you know, but I, I also felt like I was just not in the right mind state, you know, it definitely yeah, affects games too. You know, I just was like after I was just demoralized, I think, after playing two pro quests with like very little results uh, and then no opportunities beyond this one to play another one, you know, without like overextending myself. Oh, and, yeah, you just uh, you, you put too much anticipation on it, I guess. Yeah, well, in, in terms of like, you know, driving around and taking time off of work and whatnot, like I didn't want to extend myself too much. You know, I was just like, this, this is going to be the last one for me. And then it ended up being a, a smaller pro quest and I went one and four with no hopes to make top. <laughs> so that was unfortunate. Uh, played against in that one, uh, Starvo, uh, Reinar. Oh, Reinar was the one I beat in the collective uh, pro quest. I now remember which one it was. Uh, beat Reinar and then lost to uh, Viscera Kano. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I love I love seeing Max show up with Reinar because he absolutely loves that deck. I respect that. And man. he's yeah, he has. 
I don't know if you've seen his sideboarding guide, but it legitimately looks like a master's thesis. Like he printed it out <laughs> and it's all like formatted oh, and man. like just everything looks like he's ready to have it approved for a scientific journal. And it's just <laughs> the man is absolutely dedicated to Reinar. So I love seeing him show up with it at I the know. ProQuest. I love when but people I don't are know. dedicated to the heroes. Yeah, I really like they are. Like, I'm dedicated to my Viscera, you know, and I understand he's like top three right now. I mean, regardless of whether he was or wasn't, I'd still be out there jamming Viscera, you know, whether we had those insane tools or not. <laughs> yeah, you got to you know? amplify the Arc Knight. That's, That's what I call I, I would probably be Arc Knight Ascendancing if there weren't like just better, <laughs> better cards to be playing. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. but yeah. He, that is interesting, though, because, you know, your very, the very first pro quest you played in, obviously, I judged two of them. Uh, I didn't play in any because I'm terrible at this card game, but I sure know the rules. And, uh, and you, have a you know, that very first one, you're lost in the top four, like not to sell you short of losing the top four. But the guy you lost to was the one who walked home with the PTI. So really, it's a theoretical second place. You know what I mean? Like you really mm. did very well and you were dominating all day. And so... I don't know if it was just the meta shifted or the matchups were weird, but I think in a weird way, the uh, even at the even at that final pro quest that, hey, want to play, you ended up playing against like a lot of strangers. And it's really interesting to think about that, like as in terms of. Does it give you an advantage in this game to play against somebody whose play style, you know, and are familiar with, you know, regardless of the deck they're playing? Isn't that, I don't know, that's something interesting to think about. Well, like, I definitely considered that. Um, is it maybe, I would maybe consider it more, talk it up more, unless you're like consciously like, okay, I, I know what my buddy's playing. I know his sideboard technique. You know, I know how he pitches and I know everything, you know, unless you're consciously thinking about it, it's all very, I think maybe subconscious. Like you're just making decisions subconsciously based on that information. And I know I've done this before, just, and I can admit to doing it, you know, like, you know, whether, you know, I admit to making subconscious decisions because of information I have, whether it was like how they drew their card and how they shuffled their hand or, you know, uh, I see him organizing his pitch when he goes to the bottom, meaning he's counting the bottom, you know, that kind of those kinds of things, you know. Uh, but for the most part, I, you know, again, playing against strangers and stuff, I kind of like just like to think that they know the same things my friends do. For yeah. the most part. You know, like I'm assuming they're at least as knowledgeable as, you know, the people in my meta when they're playing their decks. So, like, for example, like, I mean, not this was all up to like whether he had the card or not, but I was playing against that Reiner in the collective and there was a really interesting turn where I overthought something, which was probably a good thing. And it, didn't, it ended up not mattering because they had two action points uh, from Scavskins. And they came at me with a club, right? They still had an action point and two resources open. So I thought, you know, or no, they had one resource and a tunic charge counter and they had a card in arsenal. So I go, okay, I can uh, block this club here and then wait for that next attack that I think might be a swing big underneath that arsenal. Right, because you have exactly two mana and you have an action point. So, are you baiting the end of your turn by swinging with your weapon? Right, because usually that's kind of like how you think you end your turn with yeah. a weapon, right? But if you have something after that, that's like kind of a, a wild card there, right? I mean, that's how I like to think of it. You know, imagine uh, Rosetta coming in for two and two, and then all of a sudden they go, actually, 
uh, here's a non-attack action, instant speed. I have go again. And here's another attack coming at you. It's like, whoa, whoa, what? I thought the turn was over. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I was kind of, I was thinking about it for a few minutes. I'm like, oh, I know they, they, you know, they've got swing big. That's a card playing against me. It's in your arsenal. You've got two resources. But in the end, I'm not having it. But it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm thinking about the lines that have been played against me before, right? Same things that I've seen happen in other games in my local metas when I travel to Orlando. Yeah, that's interesting. Like the pattern recognition stays the same, huh? At least for, for me. I mean, I I think sometimes I I try to expect like the worst, or like I try to expect like uh like odd place, and then rather be disappointed or rather be uh not disappointed isn't the word but be wrong you know then yeah. not expect it and then all of a sudden uh see it happen it's really interesting so i feel like the best piece of so i play a lot of card games uh, my cousin's a professional poker player so it's not fun to play poker with him but like <laughs> you know like i absolutely love card games there's something about card games that just i don't know it just does it for me more than almost every video game or really anything other than musical instruments. And the best piece of advice someone has ever given me when it comes to playing card games is never play around tricks. Like don't don't ever get it in your head that your opponent is trying to like bluff you or bait you. Always play around optimal lines of play. And I thought that was so interesting because I felt like when I first started to like get competitive at card games, especially Magic the Gathering, um I felt like the missing piece of the puzzle for me was like, oh, I need to like somehow make like bait my opponent into making mistakes by making them believe that I have a card I don't have or I'm going to play something I don't have. And then when I finally read that thing that was like, you know what, just always take your optimal line of play and always play around your opponent as if they're taking their optimal line of play. I don't know. I think for me, that made that was like my first big skill up moment in card games. And I feel like I know you didn't directly say it like that, but a lot of like what you're saying with the pattern recognition and like it not really making a difference between who's piloting a deck versus what you see in the board state. It seems a lot like you think like that subconsciously, too. I mean, probably I'm I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to put it into words as best as I can, (laughs) you know, Um, but there is, you know, some level of of uh, of like overthinking that I definitely go through. And uh, I realized that even as you explain that uh, that logic behind just making optimal plays, I'm like, yeah, you know, I probably sometimes don't make an optimal play, you know, for the sake of either trying to see if my debating a reaction out of my opponent or to try to uh, play around a reaction from my opponent, you know. And I think that my downfall a lot of times is that maybe I think I, I expect too much, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I quite like that. And you know what? The other thing that's interesting is you mention like a lot of surprise interactions, especially like there with the with Runeblade decks. When you mentioned, you know, swing with Rosetta, uh, Rosetta Thorn, instant speed, you know, non-attack action to give it go again. And so this this leads me not entirely into our next section, but we'll get there. Um, people always tell me, so I'm a magic judge. I'm a flesh and blood judge. You're a magic judge. I one of these days I'm going to sit down force you to take the flesh and blood. Judge. Yes. <laughs> Just so there's somebody I else. Forward, to I look forward to it. Yes. I um, would like to judge some locals. What's really interesting to me though, is people always tell me that viscerai is 
the judge deck where it's if you know the rules extremely well or card games extremely well there are so many bizarre little interactions with viscerai <laughs> or, or rune blades <laughs> in general that they are Aww. the judge deck where you have to know the rules extremely well especially like with I, popping specter giving i would go-game. argue i would argue that <laughs> i would argue that lss thinks otherwise otherwise we would get more rune blade judge promos as many as we have prism That's- judge promos <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you're 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm sorry, illusionist playmats as well. Light playmats as well. Hmm. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> a City of Solana playmat? Well, okay, to be fair, the first judge playmat that I recall seeing, like maybe there's one that's even earlier, but the Demonastery is a judge playmat. So that is a oh, Runeblade yeah. thing that is. Runeblade theme thing that is uh, judge, you know, judge promo. But yeah, uh, I think I agree. I think that's kind of like the, I think judges like, uh, like it's, it's especially in magic too, right? I don't know about you. Like the reason I became a magic judge is because I would like learn rule interactions between certain cards or certain ways you can do things. And I'm like, whoa, that is wild. Can you actually like, not, not like trying to angle shoot, but like kind of play it out and then show other people like, did you know you could do this? And then you do the thing and you're like, oh my God, what? Like that kind of thing really got me excited about playing magic. And that's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like how I uh, build my deck sometimes. Like I love activated abilities. If you look through any of my commanders for my EDH decks, like most of them have some kind of activated, activated ability I can like abuse by doing it on my opponent's turn or like, you know, untapping it and doing it again. Like, just all those kinds of cool interactions, you know, uh, abusing, uh, you know, paying for costs and stuff. Those are the kinds of things I love to do. And I think that does kind of come in with Runeblade too, because, you know, you have the cost reduction stuff. You play around uh, Frostbites with uh, Reduced to Rune Chant. It's like, I have five Frostbites. I have uh, like four Frostbites. I have five Rune Chants. I'm still playing my Reduced to Rune Chant for, five, for zero. You know, I still have three Rune Chants. You gave me two frostbites. I can play my rune flash for two, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. And I, and, and then also creepers being introduced to rune blade. was just like a godsend. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and it's interesting that they're called creepers. Cause let's be real. Those shoes look pretty loud. Like, they I also creep like up that. on your opponents a lot. That's <laughs> uh, true. I don't. Yeah. There's something to that though, where you mentioned like being able to show like cool interactions and stuff. There's like this weird high that comes with being a judge where it's like you're constantly in the shoes of being like a really good math teacher where you're like, actually kids, the square root of negative one is I, and they're all like, what? And there's something like, (laughs) (laughs) there's just, I don't know. There's something like about being able to like immediately see those weird interactions, show them to your friends and have that being like something cool. They can take home and like constantly play in their deck forever. I don't know. It's, it's cool. And so, as a magic judge and a flesh and blood judge, and I know especially like I just think this is so good for the community in general and for magic judges is now the big news in flesh and blood comp rules 2.0. Oh, yeah. the second edition. They're out comp rules Two origins. They're out. And oh, the, um, <laughs> the it's so weird because I was going through all these and I. Uh, you know, I'm going through the new weird interactions and stuff. What quote unquote weird interactions. And a lot of them were just like, oh, they threw out the weird flesh and blood rule. And now it makes sense like magic. So 
Yeah. I don't know, did you also get like that feeling? That. It, things make more sense now, like on paper, you know what I mean? Uh, like as written sort of thing. Yeah, it absolutely. It kind of more sense that way. And especially, I don't know, this is such a godsend because I feel like, especially when you're around like experienced players of any card game, and this happens so much with Magic the Gathering, is there's a bunch of cards that are all trying to do the same thing to a certain thing at once, and then you got to order them. So Magic has this great thing called the layer system, which essentially is a almost like a, it's almost like a pachinko machine of like levels of like how you determine like things work and how you stack certain abilities. And really Magic designed it so that it would be a catch-all for any edge case that mm-hmm. showed up uh, when playing cards throughout the whole history of it. And thank God, LSS did some research and we now have the staging system. Yes, the staging system. And it, does, it definitely feels like a catch-all, like the way you've said it. The staging system, as long as they don't introduce, like, it feels like it it catches all uh, things that cards could possibly do in which things might get complicated if we didn't have it. Absolutely. I mean, and especially because there's nothing really, almost all cards have all card types, you know? So there's no real need to, like, swap out card types or... Uh, and there's nothing there's nothing that would really swap numbers around like that was like card types and swapping numbers around. Those are the big ones in magic mm-hmm. um, that really fall weird in the layer system. But yeah, it's so easy. It's like first we provide or first it's effects that prevent changes are applied, then mm-hmm. effects that set values. Then we increase values and decrease values. We do it in that order and it gets around this like really weird clunky system of like well, you know, you announced you were going to play that card, but do you have priority? Is it in the arena yet? Like, is announcing that attack, resolving that attack? And I actually, I don't know. I think it's really great that we now have, like, the system for effects. They now have this new system where in order for something to fully be in the battlefield, it has to have resolved. And uh, I don't know. So there it's is interesting. It does change a lot. The, a lot of the ways that cards interact with each other, and they do make a point of explaining uh, certain interactions that used to work another way, but now work totally different, which is good. Yeah. But I think a lot of players are going to find out the hard way at their local armories, and hopefully, hopefully not at like a calling, you know, or at you know the pro tour. Hopefully, they've caught up on all the new CR changes uh, by then, but. You know, it'd be a terrible shame to be playing a pro tour and then realizing that you're, you know, uh, the way that you thought this card interacted on the stack does not interact that way anymore. You know? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be terrific. Really bad. That'd be egg be on bad, your face. Bad, bad end to a, to a good run, you know? Now, I, I didn't really uh, look too deeply into the viscera, like the article that went over the rune blade cards that have been changed. Did any interactions from that stand out to you at all? So, um, I'm not particularly familiar, uh, about the Runeblade cards. Uh, the one, you mean the, uh, CR changes for Runeblade? Yeah. I don't, mm. so, I don't want to say that at least well, one card had one. weird happen. I didn't see one where there was, like, multiple things. The only thing I could tell you that, uh, which I thought, honestly, if I'm being honest, I th- it has, it's never come up. Um, it, actually, no, it has come up, uh a week ago so i guess you know cr2 is kind of in effect already but um playing a uh sonata arcanics 
I uh, interpreted I interpreted it before I knew that it didn't work this way in CR one point whatever. Um, Sonata Arcanics, when played, uh, did not have the mana value of the decided X right beforehand. It had yeah. Wait until it resolved. For, right, exactly. Once it resolved, it would have that mana value or that. Now, sorry, the base cost, right? Uh, but now it has base cost of whatever uh, amount of resources you paid into it. Essentially, once it uh, once it gets played, you know, once it's on the layer, the stack, you know. So things like uh, Frostlock or uh, you know Lead the Charge, particularly, was the one that uh, happened with me. I played a blue Lead the Charge. So anything cost two or greater, this turn would gain me an action point. And I played this on not our mechanics for X is one. So that would be one plus one is two. Uh, and I gained an action point in that game. But it was just, you know, playing a casual match uh, a week ago at uh, Armory. So, I, I mean, is, is CR2 active, by the way? Yes, now? yes, okay. it is. All right. So it's not nothing, you know, nothing too bad. Uh, but I, I did not know that beforehand that would not have gained me an action point. Yeah, which is, and especially, and I think this goes back to, you know, my original thoughts when I looked at this is everything now makes sense to magic judges, right? Because in magic, when there's an X value, you look at the mana cost or, you know, just the resource cost of a spell is what's put into it when there's an X involved. And it just makes so much more sense. And it's a lot less alienating. And I, I think LSS is finally... I don't want to say that they were resistant to this idea, but I think now they're trying to go more out of their way to accommodate it. And they understand that 90% of their player pool is going to be coming from Mm. Magic the Gathering. And to make their weird, questionable interactions work more like Magic has. And that's not to say that like, like Magic is this thing to aspire to. It's to say that, you know, Magic the Gathering's been around for 30 years and they keep messing around with the rules to make them easier for people to understand. So it's like they've already done all the work for you. you know? magic, has, uh, magic has made a, a, quite a few hiccups in, uh, in their years, yeah, not to mention in the last uh, couple of years. So oh, yeah. They're definitely no stranger to uh, bad, uh, <laughs> bad design. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so the X thing... Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So yeah, the X thing makes a lot more sense. I really I think, you know, as as somebody that is expecting and anticipating judge calls uh, on the new CR 2.0 and what's going on and what's going to happen with it. I feel like and I can tell based on the articles they've published that LSS strongly agrees here. The vast majority of judge calls are now going to be on attack and defense reactions and things like reprise triggering. Yes. And the thing is really interesting. Now. Yeah. So technically, when you... Re- so, I don't know. So technically, if we look at the priority and layer system, so this is like a deep rules dive here. Whenever you play, let's say, uh, let's say you just attack, you know, with Dawnblade or whatever, and then you play a, an attack reaction as a glint of Quicksilver to give it go again. Um, you know, there is actually a period of priority where you pass priority to your opponent, then it comes back to you, and then you allow that to resolve. And then, then you get priority, your opponent gets priority, and then somebody else can play something else. So the there best actually way, is... The best way I like oh, yeah, to explain ahead. it... The, sorry, the, the best way I like to explain it is that um, the reaction step only ends 
when there are no reactions on the on like the stack to resolve and both players pass priority. Yeah. So like if both players pass priority while a reaction's on the stack, that doesn't end the reaction step. It resolves the react the current reaction. And then both players must pass priority with no reactions waiting to resolve. I think that's yeah. like the best way to yeah. explain it, the most succinct way. Um, it's very much like uh, effects of magic. You know, you play an effect or trigger an ability, but all players must pass priority uh, in order for the ability to resolve. Yeah, and I no, I think you absolutely nailed it, is to think of it in terms of the individual reaction and then the reaction step. And so there is now this thing where... I mean, I'm going to keep calling it the stack until they can legally start calling it that. But now there's this thing where within the layers and the stack, um, when you have an attack reaction um, for something like reprise to trigger where it sees if your opponent has defended with a card from hand this turn, uh, that card needed to have resolved, not just placed on as a layer. And I feel like that is going to be the most complicated thing for people to get their heads around initially. But obviously, hey, if you're listening mm. to the pitch stack, <laughs> you're already ahead of the game. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's, like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. I was saying they gave a really good example as to a, a situation where you would want to actually try to get the benefit. Um, you know, say you attacked with your uh, your weapon and no cards were declared as an uh, as a defend uh, as a defense, right? Uh, and you're playing Dorinthia or two or some warrior, a uh, brute now defend reacts with a reckless swing and he discards a six, right? So the reckless swing has not resolved yet, but you are at two life. So you might have a card in your deck to protect you from, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what card might exist, a sigil, right? You might have a sigil in your deck to protect you, you could draw. But if you play Glint the Quicksilver from your hand as an attack reaction, uh, in response to Reckless Swing, before it resolves, you will not have a prize to draw that card because Reckless Swing needs to resolve. And if it resolves, it deals two damage and you die. Yeah. So there actually isn't a way out of it now in that situation. Same thing with Steel Blade Shunt, Warrior on Warrior. Um, I feel like you'll probably see Reckless Swing more often happen. Uh, but yeah, that's like kind of just an unfortunate effect of this new ruling is that, you know, uh, cards have to resolve in order for them to be actually declared as a as an, uh, an object on the chain, you know? Yeah. And the other thing they added that I think is important is they have clarified their targeting system, which, you know, I, I mean, like anybody that judges magic or delved seriously into the rules, know all cool teens like magic and Pokemon and how that's incredibly important. Um, oh, geez, what's the acronym again? Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, we'll, we'll save that. We'll save all hour. It'll take to get into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But so the other thing is that they have now clarified the targeting system. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now when you play a card, it must have a legal target. Otherwise, you can't play it. And then um, if, you know, while a card is being played, let's see, I, you know, it's important to see how these targets interact with defense reactions. Uh, Because if you play something like route uh, with a target, it just it's not going to it's not going to pass through. And I know one of the things that bothers me is they haven't been entirely clear on uh, how this is going to work in terms of. Like, does the spell fizzle if the target gets destroyed after you declare it, but before it resolves? And I feel like they are implying that on a lot of these, but they still haven't come right out and said it. Right. OK, so what you're suggesting is that they 
have, this is in, in design, it's cards played without targets or legal targets will not uh, just be undone, but they will be uh, fizzled, essentially, like the speaking shorthand. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, would you would you personally make that call, though? Like just uh, ignoring like rules and stuff. Would you call like, you know, say a player at a at an armory, maybe not an armory, maybe one step higher, like at a PQ, right? They play a, uh, you know, something like that. Let's just use the card you said route uh, route with no uh, target. Would they? Oh, actually, you know, route maybe not may, may not be a good example. It says you may return. Do you still have to select a target? So I think if it says, I believe the way route is is that you do currently you do need a target in order to play it. But if something else caused that target to disappear, um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is something that we need to dive into, I guess. I think maybe Rout's not a great example. Just, for, just because of the fact that, you know, in order for a reprise to even be online to begin with, there has to be a defending uh, card from hand. Uh, on the chain link and then that is a non-equipment defending card that they can return to hand so there is always going to be a legal target on uh the chain so long as reprise is online for route yeah that's true so that makes sense but also like the target weapon attack i mean you would never be able to play unless there was a uh weapon attack unless you're attacking with i guess unless you're attacking with a uh an attack action which i guess i haven't considered uh playing since you're playing warrior but yeah i mean naturally you could not play a route uh if there is a an attack action on the combat chain yeah i think that yeah i think that that, i mean it makes sense that you can't play it if there's something and i feel like there's not a lot of things that cause that cause attacks to be destroyed obviously there's phantasm but there's not a lot of uh you know there's not a lot of phantasm buffs currently so i don't know maybe this is something this is probably one of those things that is currently buried inside the actual CR 2.0 rules. And um, I don't know. We'll dig into this for next episode because immediately as a magic judge, that's like what steps out to me. It's like, well, does it still resolve if the target is no longer legal when it goes to resolve? So the, the example that the, C, the CR article gives uh, in terms of when they reference route here uh, have limitations on targeting. Uh, the example that you give is um, before route resolves as a so the defending player declares no, uh, no defense, no defenses. Right. So the attack is unblocked. Uh, the attacking player responds with a uh, route uh, before the route resolves, though, uh, the defending player reacts with a uh, unmovable allows the unmovable to resolve. And then now route tries to resolve, but there will not uh, be a reprise uh, target because Ah, because uh, yeah. it, it checks when it's played. It, it was never given a target. Yes, it is only, it is only allowed to uh, select the target on play, not on resolve. Interesting. Okay. So, so yeah, that- like now that Resprise is active on route, but it, it can resolve, but there's not going to be a target for the Reprise ability on route. Interesting. Okay, so I think also we can use that to work backwards to say that if you played this card and there was a legal target, if that legal target no longer exists when it goes to resolve the layer, then it I think probably it will probably I think it will resolve. I think it will resolve only the weapon attack part. I don't think it will resolve the returning to hand. 
you yeah. still get plus three, but you won't get the reprise effect. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Interesting. I, mean, I don't I think it's maybe just implied just because it's not really discussed. But yes, uh, the, the Iron Song response one is interesting. I didn't realize that. But yes, that would be true. If reprise is online, you couldn't play it uh, with no effect to no effect. So, yeah. So in case you uh, y'all were wondering what judges do. <laughs> <laughs> we basically sit and we talk about the rules until one and or both of us get confused. And then we go look it up and then reconvene a few days later. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's I would say that's 95 percent of judging. Also, uh, so there's something interesting here in the article uh, that they mentioned something uh, regarding of how judges should. Uh, how judges should resolve issues and uh, disputes among players when it comes to. Uh, the new rule changes and targeting, right? So they say that benefit of the doubt should be given to uh, in any situation where an unoptimal target uh, to play a defense, there would be an unoptimal target to play a defense reaction that would allow the reprise condition to be met. Um, so what I think is saying is like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really word this correctly. Uh, but it would be ruled that unmovable was played after route resolves to prevent cases of rule sharking or angling. So like, you know, for example, like somebody plays route, you would naturally like the most reasonable thing for you to do is to play unmovable first. Right. Or no, no, sorry. Um, No, no. Yeah. yeah, I see exactly what you're saying first, but if you like kind of let route do the thing and then play unmovable, the player can't shark you into like doing it the opposite way to gain a benefit. You understand? Yeah. Which is, this is actually really interesting because one of the things that they teach you when you're becoming a magic judge is like how to determine like players intentions when they were playing a card. And essentially you just, uh, what you do is you make sure that the, each player playing the card had their intentions line up with the optimal line of play. And that it would be weird for them to take a suboptimal line of play. And like, you know, like as if they were playing into a mistake. It's very interesting. And I think that lines right up with that. That's pretty cool. All right. So the other thing I'm really excited about with Flesh and Blood right now, on top of Comparables 2.0, is we now have dual decks. And I know, Matt, you and I have talked about this a little bit. There is a problem with the way that new players learn the game right now. And that's... Uh, I'd say two of the most popular Blitz decks have weird errata uh, in terms of Chain having Seeds of Agony banned and Briar, you know, obviously has the errata on the card itself. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say Ball Lightning is either included with Briar or Lexi. Yes. Both. Um, oh God, it is both. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really glad to see that we now have the classic Warcraft 2 orcs versus humans yeah um, i know reinar is not legally an orc um <laughs> but we all is see the reference i don't know he's a thing, brute. Uh, is that what the, is that his race i don't know is that i don't just... know i feel like i feel like there's some lore that they have they have yet to explore but i don't know what do you think of this well i i might not i might not know the i might not have read the lore explaining if uh reinar what reinar's race is uh it seems like an orc to me, though. Uh, yeah, very orc. Maybe explain it differently. Uh, I would. I don't think I'd say he's an ogre. That's much more distinct. But orc is very like uh, broad. You know, it's more of a broad term. Uh, yeah. 
I, I love these dual decks, honestly. The design, uh, the price, the uh, the box design, like just in, in the one or two cards that we've seen, the Dorinthia and her mentor, like that's awesome. And, and it's back to what you're saying. The problem with Blitz decks is, yes, at least the last two, well, not the last two, the only two uh, sets to have had uh, Blitz decks released with them uh, have sadly not been very uh, beginner friendly beginner friendly uh decks you know they have the talent system included which is a little bit more complicated explaining to players newer players at least uh, how it works you have arcane damage in both these sets uh you know you have cards that are banned or cards that are eroded in uh three of these decks so it's kind of like yeah here's the deck also by the way that card's banned if you're going to try to play or upgrade this deck oh also that card does do what it says it does and then two of these decks have banned cards. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, your equipment has to be in the same sleeves with Levia. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a thing. Yeah. So <laughs> it's always fun. I did. I did manage to get a little bit of interest from a friend uh, teaching them uh, Bolton. Uh, I did give them the option, though, of playing Chain or Bolton. And I let them know Shane was the better deck. They still chose Bolton. So the outcome of that game was on their was on them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think it, they're not terrible decks to teach people with, but there are definitely issues with them. Um, but I do think more vanilla heroes are definitely the best way to teach players the game. Like Dory and Reinar are like the two best heroes you can choose to teach new players the game, in my opinion. Yeah. I, you know, and it's interesting, too. I feel like I agree with that so much because the, the Ira Welcome deck obviously is designed to be the starting point of flesh and blood, either that or a Blitz deck. And everybody that plays the Ira Welcome deck, they have the exact same reaction when they play a game with a different hero where they're like, oh, you mean all my attacks don't have go again? Where they just like, I don't know, there's this thing with the Ira Welcome deck where you just assume everything in the game has go again. Mm hmm. Uh, because, you know, everything in that deck has go again. Yeah. And I, I also think that the Ira decks are just uh, are very are for teaching the rules of the game. I think that's the best way. Uh, that's the best use of the of the Ira decks, in my opinion. Um, and then for teaching gameplay, the the four Welcome to Wraith heroes are perfect. And I think Reinar and Dory are the ones that encapsulates that the most because they've got everything going for them. You know, Reinar has the additional costs. He's got drawing cards. He's got discarding cards. He's got go again sometimes. He has buffs. He has reactions and he has defense reactions. You know, uh, he also plays with action points. Con all the concepts in the game, essentially. Um, yeah. And then Dory is the kind of like the other stuff that Reinar doesn't capture, right? Like reactions on attacks, uh, weapon attacking, plus one counter on your weapon, uh, you know, all, all of the stuff that warrior wants to do. And essentially both of these decks together, I think will cover almost, if not all things, excluding arcane damage and like prevention effects, uh, that the game has to offer. Absolutely. And, you know, I didn't even really think about it like that with how complete of an overview of the game is where they're like, let's avoid. And then, yeah, they, they do a really good job of avoiding what I consider to be the two 
most difficult part. Well, there's actually three things that I consider very difficult to wrap your head around the game. But, you know, by avoiding things like phantasm and like arcane damage and then banishing things from your graveyard. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, this is great. It's a great step forward. I think the banish zone isn't terrible, at least for an ex- somebody who for people who are new to TCGs, it might be a new concept. But for anyone who's played any kind of TCG, playing something out of the banish zone probably isn't too complicated. When I read That's Shane, fair. and I when I first read Shane, I was like, wow, this guy must be busted. And I was right. He was very busted because I'm like, oh man, he has like uh, four card, he has like uh, eight card hands on like turn four or something, right? That's how that works. And yep, it's exactly how that works. <laughs> yeah. Out. But um, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, those are those concepts in general, though, are very abstract to most people when they're learning the game. Uh, and they're a little bit more difficult just to pick up uh, right off the bat. Especially like Spectra and Phantasm, like you explained. Because you have to deal with, at that point, uh, learning how cards resolve, right? And uh, effects that get applied after, right? Like blocking... I, I only say this because I thought about it, but like blocking uh, a Phantasm card with a shrill, a red shrill... And then all of, out of nowhere, like somehow making an aura with like spellbound creepers. And then now it's a seven attack and now yeah. phantasm pops. Yeah, that's yeah. Let's let's not give the new players. Head Sorry. Sorry. No, no. I mean, obviously, <laughs> anybody listening to that understands that. But yeah, I feel like this is a great. It's so weird, too, because that's I mean, this game only has one problem right now. And there's no like clear path for new players to start playing. Um, and so I'm really glad to see these dual decks coming out, especially as somebody that started playing flesh and blood, literally at a kitchen table. Um, it's nice to see them put together, you know, this little kitchen table pack. And so I don't know. I'm excited for it. I'll pre-order it. I'm stoked. We're getting cold foils, foils. We're getting a warrior. I actually just looked it up in the background and at no point did they mention the word orc, which is or ogre. They just refer to him as the apex predator. Um, occasionally they say brute, but I'm not sure if they're like class or whatever. I don't know. Tell us more about Reinar. We need to know, is everybody there a brute? I need to, uh, I need to consult, uh, the Reinar, uh, king of the meta of the local meta and, uh, ask him how, you know, give me the more, tell me everything (laughs) about Reinar. Well, so speaking of asking questions uh, for uh, local players and listeners, let's go to our listener question segment. Uh, this week, we actually have a question from a fake listener because we don't have any yet. Um, so, Matt, we'll start with you. Which hero do you wish had more support in the game? Oh, that one. Uh, it, I, would like to, I would like to say it's a tough question because there are a couple heroes I wish had better or more different ways to play like you know more play styles but i think the question the answer for that one's easy for me is levia i mean she is probably the weakest hero right now um but she has so much potential right and i think what she lacks is like a something you a distinct ability or something right because her hero ability is just I don't die sometimes to my own cards, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but it, she doesn't have anything that really kind of like other than like really huge attacks. Right. And sometimes wide turns. And she doesn't have anything other than that to scare her opponents into blocking. 
Right. And it's unfortunate because like I've played many games against Levia with a couple different decks, mostly Visrai. And I'm just I'm just never blocking that deck. Right. If you're playing the top three decks, like you almost just don't feel like blocking it. And just there's not really much of a repercussion, you know, for it other than going and taking like 19 damage in two turns or less. And then all of a sudden, though, if you're playing any of the top three decks, like they just kind of say, okay, I, I, I see your 19 and I uh, respond with 25, <laughs> you know, or some massive number and then also hand control for playing Starbo. So it's kind of a, uh, it's, she's in a tough spot. I think maybe some kind of equipment that would be very geared for her deck that doesn't require you to like pop it, you know, like kind of just constant effect. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some new shadow cards I think would be nice. Yeah, maybe even like a little arcane damage. I yeah, feel some, like would be flavorful. Some general uh, shadow cards that just kind of have arcane damage ticked on there, you know. But I, that might create a problem in the future if they decide to add shadow talent to another hero. That's my only concern with that. But it does sound like a really good like way to give Levia a really nice, uh, nice buff. Yeah. What's, what hero do you wish had more support? So this is going to be controversial, but I, I want Dory to have a little bit more support. Huh. I feel like Dorinthia has been almost there um, for the vast majority of the life of this card game. And she was and top I would, tier in the beginning, as far as I in the very Yeah, in the very beginning, Warrior was amazing. Um, but I think in the current meta, it just, I don't know, Warrior is such a... You know, it's the it's the very first class most people pick up like in RPGs or it just makes the most sense. And I would like to see Dory have maybe one, two more cards, maybe. uh, Maybe some sort of I don't know what I would add, uh, but something something that would allow. Allow her to be a tier one deck, I think that that would be great. Absolutely. And I can't even think of what it would be because uh, mm. I feel like anything that I can think of to add to it just makes her immediately overpowered. It's a really fine line. Like you can't add better equipment with better blocking because then basically what she's just guarding. What would you think of uh, uh, an, attack re- an attack action designed for uh, Dory because Bolton... Nourishing emptiness? It's like well, <laughs> that one's okay. It's not bad, but it also relies on you only running one of them. It doesn't feel great. Right. Uh, Nourishing Emptiness is is a really weird card. You only really ever want one of it. Unless, like, you're just trying to high roll and, like, you know, just have a better chance of drawing it early. And then the second one just becomes pitch, right? Yeah. Um, I don't... I want want there to be maybe an attack action that Dory can play, right? That still synergizes with her plan of attacking with Domblade every turn. Right. Um, Yeah. Something obviously he's got to have go again uh, or gain go again in some way, right? That can't be cheesed by your opponent blocking totally, right? I don't really like that because uh, then it just turns off your turn. You lose your counters on Don, Don Blade, right? Um, something that your opponents aren't going to want to block because of, but also kind of like, or they, they have to make a decision, right? Do they want to block this or do they want to block your Don Blade and not let you get any more counters? Right. Of course, if you're playing Sabres or Axidori, this might not be like the right card, but I think they should they should develop some kind of attack action that's geared towards one of those strategies. Yeah, like a small must block attack action, kind of like a 
something like a head jab that only does one damage, but if it if it hits like you gain one resource point. That seems mm-hmm. very broken as I hear myself say it, but something like that could work. It feels pushed, but not pushed, but like uh like it feels I I, I don't know. It, something like that's like a good design. I just feel like something inconspicuous I'd like maybe better. Oh yeah, like just like a sleeper card. Know, well, when you play it, your opponent doesn't know whether this is going to be like a, like drawing a card, right? You don't know how good that's going to be for them. Usually it's pretty good, but like when you when you're like cost benefit on benefit analysis on a snatch with go again, right? You think, well, there are wor- are there worse on hit effects to worry about coming up, right? Am I more concerned about uh, any attack reaction Dawnblade will get or the extra counter Dawnblade has? Like, how many counters does it have on it now? Is it a three? Is it a five? Right? I think those are, like, things that we might want to consider when... If those are things they might want to consider when designing an attack action that will cause your opponent to need to decide to block or not to block. Yeah. I don't know. That's just where I'm coming from. But I do, I do like the idea of giving her more uh ways to produce resources because uh sometimes she finds herself a little uh starved when it comes to reactions the ones that actually have a uh cost associated with them absolutely route becomes a little bit more playable i don't know i feel like route's pretty good i just don't see a lot yeah i don't i think the deck's gonna get there especially i mean you you don't put a character on the face of your new premiere product (laughs) you know what i mean like obviously without pushing it. And I think we saw that squarely with Starvo. Um, so hopefully yeah. <laughs> it happens with Dory, you know? What if it was uh what if Starvo was an experiment? What if they were like, let's see how fast we can get a hero to living legend status? Oh yeah. That'd They're just taking office bets. Winner Maybe. winner has to fry some eggs. <laughs> Loser has to fry some eggs. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever they do for bets in New Zealand. Well, you know, Matt, I think we're coming to the close here of our mm-hmm. very first episode of the Pitch Stack podcast. So I'm going to ask you, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, well, this was exciting. I actually had this is a really good time. I had a lot of fun recording this. And, uh, you know, our conversation flew, flowed a lot smoother. Uh, not, not a lot smoother than I thought, but like it's been a while since I sat in front of the mic and then just talked. Right. It's been a while since I recorded uh, anything for a podcast or uh, or any kind of YouTube thing for that matter. Um, many attempts before, but I do really love this game. Uh, I love playing it. I love learning about it. I love the rules. You know, um, I really want this game to succeed. I want to. I wonder what it's going to look like in the in the future. You know, a year, two years from now, what things we're going to see new, and that kind of makes me excited, honestly. And it's weird, you know it. it it feels so easy to do a flesh and blood podcast because I'm sure as anybody who doesn't play flesh and blood knows, and they're probably not even listening to this, but people that play flesh and blood, man, do they love telling you about flesh and blood? <laughs> uh, Cause I'm definitely yeah. one of them. And so I don't know. It's a, yeah, this has been pretty smooth. And I guess I, my final thoughts are I'm pretty excited for skirmish season. I have more oh, reps on yes. bliss than anything else. So uh, next episode Maybe we'll do a little skirmish season preview. What, we'll what, talk uh, about uh, blood on her hands and how what, it's probably going to get banned. Oh, God. It sounds like you're playing Kasai. <laughs> I was oh, going to ask you. Oh, I was going to ask you. How do you feel about uh, what, what heroes do you feel like uh, you like the most right now in Blitz? Uh, so I absolutely stomped every single game against Kano with Kasai. 
And really, the only bad matchup I have had is against Reinar. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, but just because the Intimidate's so good against Warriors. So, I don't know. I'm excited for skirmish season because I... You know, you don't need a judge to run a skirmish, which is great. It means I can play. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking God, forward there to There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Only just to do something different, you know? I, I play a lot of CC, so... I'm actually kind of excited to maybe uh, put some items in play with Data Doll or uh, <laughs> oh, Data. play uh, play a blue pry on your turn after you uh, attack with Domblade so I, or uh, Centauri Saber so I could take the blood out of your hands with pry. Just take that, put that on the bottom, draw a new card. That's right. Uh, me and uh, me and Christian at Hey Want to Play, we were testing Kayo versus Data Doll, uh-huh. and about an hour and a half into it, it it stopped being like a question of like gameplay and lines of play versus how many games do you think we would need to play for data doll to win one? Like it didn't even matter who was piloting I mean, it. I mean, I feel like data doll's pretty good. And yeah, but, also, just the Kayo matchup is so oh, bad. Well, yeah, yeah. Kayo's was, just <laughs> Kayo. Though, so just, yeah. like none of your cards can defend when you're data doll. You only have three of them. It's just, it was weird. It was a really weird matchup. Yeah, it's it's tough. You'd like to go first with Data Doll, ideally. Get something going. Maybe an Arsenal card. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, yeah. The Data, yeah. I think Data Doll's got a lot of potential. She definitely she definitely just folds to a lot of card decks, but uh, it's fun, though. At the very least, we're not winning, but it's definitely fun. <laughs> Well, right on. Well, yeah, we'll do a deeper dive of this coming oh, up sure, skirmish sure. season. We'll uh, we'll do a little analysis, figure out some decks, figure out I'll some get a sleepers. Bit, I'll get some more uh, blitz reps in so I can talk about it. Absolutely. Well, this has been the Pitch Stack Podcast. Uh, I've been Doug, and this has and been my co-host, Matt. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's been great. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week.